This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And this is the second of a two-part series about the Amazon Vendor Central business model. So manufacturers who are selling to Amazon on a wholesale basis rather than on Seller Central as a seller. This is a much different program to Seller Central, and we get a lot of questions from vendors about how things work, best practices, what metrics to track, and a lot of sort of process-oriented questions. And so very fortunate to have a subject matter expert on the team at Bobsled, an ex-Amazon vendor manager, Zhao Calcero. If you didn't catch the episode last week, I recommend going back and checking that out. We talked about, do I have a vendor manager or why is my vendor manager unresponsive? What are the benefits of enrolling in subscribe and save? The net PPM program and why is that important? And this week we're going to be talking a little bit more about what happens when you stop receiving POs, how to get your product price increased, operating a hybrid model, and finally just a little bit more of a deep dive into being a vendor versus being a seller. So again, check out the first episode of this two-episode series if you didn't catch that, and on to part two of my conversation with Zhao. So let's get into some other ways to move the needle with this, and this is kind of troubleshooting (laughs) troubleshooting vendor questions. So first (laughs) is when you stop receiving POs, and the second, how do you actually get Amazon to increase the price of your product? Because sometimes they're, you know, price matching with their algorithm and they drop the price and then they say, oh, that product is crapped out. They can't get a profit on that. And so you end up in this sort of death spiral. So two questions mm. there is what happens when you stop receiving POs? Let's start there. Yeah. So there's a lot of different sources from where the stoppage of POs might have come from. A lot of them having to do with backend issues. So you were just talking about profitability. So if an agent is scrapped, that means that Amazon sees absolutely no reason why they should buy a product from you where they might be losing money on. Brand registry issues happen a lot, especially since Amazon started to zeroing in on really making a point that all of the selection that they have on their catalog comes from the brand themselves or from a representative. So it might be that you are the brand owner for a long time, but you never really did enrolled in brand registry. And from one day to the other, your orders just stop coming in because one of your distributors is an authorized reseller and is enrolled in brand registry under that. And so they will be the preferred. Yeah, they will be the preferred buying option for sure. But they can Um, do that without, so you're saying a distributor could enroll in brand registry as the brand owner? No, but as an authorized reseller. Right, okay. And an authorized reseller, it's better than nothing. 
Sold yeah, in. especially if they don't negotiate as hard on their vendor yeah, exactly. terms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this just leads me to the next one, which is if your competitors in terms of sourcing have just lower costs than you, like if they are and they're selling you, then Amazon will prefer the cheapest option. I think that's fair. <laughs> and you don't yeah. have any visibility on it and we'll never know how much you are being undercut by. So it's a tricky situation. Also, what might influence is the lead time that you've been showing on your previous deliveries. So if you are constantly underperforming in terms of either reject POs, a PO on time accuracy, if you just discontinue the ASIN for a long time, then the lead time for your ASINs skyrocket and it just becomes unbearable for Amazon to buy them from you. So they just don't. And mm. that's very, yeah, that's a very tricky situation because there's really, then it's running around in circles. Right. Spiral chasing, situation. chasing your tail. Chasing a tail. Yeah. yeah. Chasing a tail situation. Yeah. Because then if the, your lead time is huge, Amazon doesn't order from you. If it doesn't order from you, the lead time will increase and then it will just spiral from there. And then you need to put like a handbrake on that and do something really drastic to make it stop. And then there's the last one, which is just there is no forecast for demand for your ASIC. That may happen. It's a market. If people are not looking to buy it, Amazon is not looking to buy it as well from you. So there is a possibility. It's rare, but it happens. Yeah. Especially if Amazon just kept believing that the demand would pick up and it never yeah. did. And so it's left with a lot of stranded inventory there and they just want to get rid of it before they, yeah. they do another PO. So here's a related question. And before we get into the topic that we've covered a lot, which is seller central versus vendor and operating a hybrid model, how to get your product price increased. So we'll see this quite often with brands who are selling across different properties online. They might be selling to Walmart, they might be selling to Target, they might be selling to Wayfair or Ulta or you know whatever category specific retailer they make sense. And mm -hmm. Amazon's always price matching. So they never want to be priced higher than anywhere else online. So they're constantly crawling the web to make sure that products are priced competitively. And so they'll drop the price whenever there's a promotion with another retailer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can work out pretty badly for vendors because the price just keeps going down. They have agreements, not just with Amazon, but with other retailers about what price they will be selling at elsewhere. And a race to the bottom can start occurring between retailers yeah. and that means the Amazon comes back to that vendor and says we can't realize a profit on this product also known as crap and you need to give us better terms on this product so that we can make a profit otherwise we're not going to you know we're not going to buy from you we're going to turn your ads off all this kind of death spiral stuff starts to happen so what yeah, can exactly. you do in that situation when you know as the vendor you can't set the price what can you do to prompt Amazon to increase the price of your product? Or another scenario is what we're seeing right now is inflation of costs through the supply mm -hmm. chain. And a lot of brands have, you know, had to start paying more for logistics and wholesale costs and things like that. They want to pass that price on to the customer eventually. How do you actually prompt Amazon to raise the price of your products? So it's a very tricky question and I wish there was a guru that will let us know the magic trick to make it happen to every single account. Best practices will be when you're making a, let's call it a pitch to Amazon in order or a request to Amazon for a price increase, do it catalog wide. 
and maybe give something back. So if you are being profitable on some other agents, maybe just bring them down on the new proposal for prices. Be sure before you do that, that your PPM is healthy because if it's below, I would say if it's below 40%, don't even bother asking for a raise because they are just not going to get to you. But there is, yeah, you'll need to, for Amazon to give you something, you will need to give them something or make them scared that you will be taking your business elsewhere by going to a hybrid strategy, which is, of course, the easiest way of doing that. But you will be competing against Amazon for that buy box and we don't know right. how and, so the inventory levels. And, and like from you mentioned, like if there's other suppliers to Amazon as well, if you've got distributors selling to Amazon, then that might not be a tactic that you want to use to sort of threaten exactly. them and say, we're not going to sell to you anymore, then, you know, <laughs> that could end up burning exactly. you. It's a, yeah. Yeah. It's not a clear-cut winner. There is no clear-cut winner. How effective Amazon. is it to, you said, offer them something in return, so that could be maybe like a lower price on another item that you have good margins mm-hmm. on. What about committing to increased spend with PPC or DSP, for example? Is that going to move the needle in the negotiation? I would say that going or enrolling in the VIR products or the vendor incentive rebate will be more effective than that. Could you explain what that tool is? Sure. It's basically a program or let's call it a bet that you do with Amazon. So you're betting Amazon or Amazon in this case, Amazon is betting you that you will reach 50K for the whole year. And if you reach 50K, then you will give me a 4% discount on all the POs. If you don't, we will give you your money back. But if you reach higher than that, you will have to pay like a 6% discount. So it's a very interesting program because it allows vendors to kind of start a tug of war with Amazon. So it's yeah. like, if you want me to pay less, buy more from me. And this generates a lot of traction and then it prompts Amazon to really put your products out there as well. And yeah, it's a you shared, are basically, yeah, yeah, shared goal and a shared risk. Exactly. And during that time, so you pay up front the 4%, but then if you do not reach your thresholds, Amazon will give it back. So it's normally three thresholds. So one below the agreed upon and one above. And this will signal to the algorithm that you are actually giving a 4% discount, but it's, Mm. you don't know, but it will also prompt you to sell more because Amazon wants you to sell more. So this may help even with a price increase. It's a 4% increase in terms, which is hard, but it's a strategy and it's a very valid program as well. um, That's great. That's a really great tip. Excellent. Okay. You already mentioned a hybrid model, which is something that a lot of brands look to do because, you know, they're facing some challenges with the vendor approach, whether that's discounting, things like that. So hybrid model means you're operating both a seller account and a vendor account. And I want to first say that some vendors are told by Amazon that they're not allowed to operate a a seller account. And if they do, that their relationship with Amazon might be terminated essentially. And from what I have heard, that is not an empty threat. <laughs> Amazon will, you know, they're pretty serious about that. So before sort of considering a hybrid model, I would suggest just confirming that, you know, you haven't been told that by Amazon or it's not in, you know, not being told to your company in writing or anything like that, because I would hate to give someone the impression that this is not something that Amazon follows through on. With that, no, yeah, for sure. With that said, you know, this is a viable strategy for brands where they don't have that requirement from Amazon to not operate a seller account. And in some cases, you know, it's probably 
better off for Amazon too because, you know, under a wholesale arrangement, some of these products just can't be profitable, whereas if they're sold as a seller that they might be. Of course. And it's in Amazon's best interest to have their catalog filled as much as they can. So they want to be the everything store. So shopping down some items, it's kind of against that. So it's a tricky situation, the hybrid module. But if you have the capacity to do it, it's a very successful strategy because it allows you the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. So it allows the steady, streamlined revenue that comes from being a vendor with all of the extra fairy dust that Amazon can put on top of everything. But it also gives you back the control that you missed or that you lose when you shifted from seller to vendor because that's the, the biggest difference, right? Control. In yep. seller, you control pretty much everything. You have better data. You control your prices. You control. You do not need to raise cases, hopefully, to have anything change on your PDPs. Whilst on vendor, you have one great thing, especially if you are a not that much, so not very known brand, which has sold by Amazon and shipped by Amazon, a seal of quality that, yeah, it's me as a customer. It's always reassuring to me when I, when I see that a specific item is sold by Amazon because that, that's proof of quality to mm -hmm. me, even though I have absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of the brand itself. But it lets me know that, of course, that if you are a very well-known brand, shipped by, I don't know, Apple. <laughs> That's so unoriginal of me to choose Apple, but sold by Apple. Of course, it's a very big quality stamp written yeah. all over that TDP, but not every company and brand is Apple. So yeah, it's a tricky situation, but it's a very successful one. If you can do it, if you are, I feel that it will not affect you legally yeah. in any way or put you in any harm's way with Amazon. Because as Kiri was saying, like Amazon doesn't, bark a lot it normally bites so yeah so yeah if you can do it or if you have like two separate entities or two different companies then it's a very valid strategy to follow it allows I'll, you the best of both worlds yeah and i'll say that there's some larger brands that i've spoken with who are amazon strategic accounts where amazon has said you're not allowed to operate a seller central account that would be a violation of the terms of their agreement and you know they're taking that very seriously, but there's some products where it just does not make sense as a vendor. And so what they do instead is use the leverage a like a third party seller that they have an arrangement with and kind of keep that arrangement very private. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a <laughs> you know, it's like a distributor selling on Amazon. There's no way to trace it back to that brand, but they are you know, they get around that requirement that way. So to be clear, they're not violating the agreement because they are not operating a seller central account. It's done through a distributor. So that's another way to think about it. But you don't get as much of the benefit no, as if you're a brand. There's, there's an extra fee in there. Yeah, you're paying sure. that company for sure. Yeah, but we work with a lot of brands who operate a hybrid model and it, it works for them. I will say... There is an additional cost in doing that because from our perspective as an agency, we're essentially, we're managing two accounts. There's not a whole lot of, you know, ways to reduce workload besides there being like one point of contact, maybe one weekly call. But really we're running a seller central account and a vendor central account. There's still a lot of work to do in both. So that needs to be part of the consideration as well is, Am I prepared to operate basically two separate channels and all the cost involved with that as well? Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Xiao, we've covered a lot. I think we'll turn this into two episodes because we've covered a lot here. I also want to point out a really great episode that we did a few months ago with Olivera Boyevich on our sales team talking about what happens when your vendor manager disappears. And this mm. is sort of related to the first topic that we talked yeah. about. What she had seen from speaking with a lot of prospective clients is they had a vendor manager assigned and then they just went away. And these brands are kind of, they'd come to rely on that relationship and that vendor manager Mm -hmm. doing a lot of things for them, you know, doing forecasts and managing some of the operational side of things. Suddenly they're gone, they're not getting replaced. And these brands are sort of getting left in the lurch. And so a lot of them were, you know, reaching out to agencies like Bobsled to say, I need some help. And we don't know what we're doing here. We don't have the processes. We don't have the know-how or the time to manage all of this. And that seems to be like a pretty constant trend is Amazon basically pulling back from a lot of aspects of vendor management. And unless it's a strategic account that's really large, or unless in your previous role as you were doing, where there is a lot of potential for a brand, but they're not really performing. And so, you know, there's some upside for Amazon to actually get back involved with those accounts. But if you're a sort of mid-sized vendor, you can kind of expect to have less and less support over time unless you want to start paying for the AVS program that you mentioned. Yeah, it's a big cold ocean ahead of you uh, (laughs) until until you are able to speak with a human being, which Mm. is not fun. But yeah, keep at it. I don't know. (laughs) It's tough because so the manpower that Amazon has is limited as well. And the amount of vendors is absurd. So I don't know. I remember at the time I was managing in a three-month sprint, almost 50 vendors at a time. And yeah, it was crazy, but they're good people as well. So don't think of them as a heartless, like bunch of people that just don't care. It's just sometimes it's just impossible. It's just impossible. And well, the rest of us, we need to do the best that we can so that we Mm. get those PPM margins above the 50% percentile, which is where you really start to get Amazon's attention. And that's well, we want to be seen by them if we are staying in a vendor strategy for the long run. Sometimes it may require to reduce some costs. Mm. Sometimes it will require to enroll in more than one program, be engaged with them, and be sure to have, especially this, have your portfolio always updated in Amazon. Because, yeah, once you start to update regularly your catalog, then Amazon will want to know the limit of that potential and you might be able to get in touch with someone and outline a strategy moving forward. Right. Finding a way to get their attention. This has been great, Zhao. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for having me. Sharing your expertise. I know that since joining Bobsled, you've become a huge fan of the Seller Central program. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, you know, I think that If you could summarize really briefly, what do you see the upsides in Seller Central as opposed to Vendor Central? Just, I don't know, two or three things. It's your business. I summarize in this one. So you have full control on pretty much everything that you're doing. Well, if you have the ability to do it in-house, all the better to you. But working with an agency such as Bob's or Acadia, because it will take the pressure off the bad part of the seller, which is the control. So control is nice, but when you have the obligations as well, then it becomes a bit more stretched yes. out, like replying to the clients, having very high level attention to client communication, to inventory level. So it's a full-time job, mm. but it's your full-time job. And I don't know, you asked me this, what have I changed my mind about? So since joining Bobsled, for sure, I was a vendor guy. 
hundred percent. I was like, you should go vendor, you should go vendor. And now I think I changed my mind about that. I think you should stay seller, even though the fees. So I think on the long run, even the fees will even out with the terms of the contract, because in the beginning, the terms are amazing, but then it becomes heavier and heavier each year and you have control of your whole operation and you'll just taking advantage of the biggest marketplace in the world at your discretion. Love it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Xiao. Talk well, to you soon. Thank you, Kiri.